We pray that you will be the one that's honored and glorified because every victory flows from you. So, Lord, have your way in this meeting. Uh, we submit ourselves to you. Teach us what is right in your eyes. Uh, open our eyes, our understanding. Soften our hearts to receive what you have for us. And we pray these things in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Did everyone in here get a magazine? If you didn't, if you raise a hand, I'm sure the usher will make sure that you get one. Uh, I wanted to make sure everyone got one of these. Let me just tell you about them very, very quickly. These come monthly. They are free. And you will never get a letter asking you for money for them. They remain free. Inside is a blue sign-up card. There are also these cards out on that table. If you'd like to receive this free resource, please fill this card out. Leave it out in the basket on the table. One of them says monthly newsletter. That's for children, kindergarten through eighth grade. No, that's the adult one. The monthly newsletter is the adult one. The other side is Kids of Courage. That's for children. So help yourself. They're both free. Part of what I do with the ministry is I travel into restricted nations. I find out what's happening to our Christian brothers and sisters. We assess what the needs are. We bring that information back. Then it goes into the magazine. I just got back from the Middle East. I'm going to be sharing some stories with you that haven't even made it to the magazine yet. One of them has, but the rest have not. So uh, you'll be getting some kind of firsthand information. What this magazine ends up being is a wonderful prayer support for you. The number one things Christians ask you to do is pray. That is the first thing. I was in Sudan. The people were literally running away from the Muslims' attacks on their village. And when we would intersect them as they are trying to get to the feeding centers in the south, we'd say, what do you need? Now, they had cholera in the camps. I mean, these people were running literally in rags because they ran with just the clothes on their backs. Time after time, the first thing they asked us for was prayer. That is the greatest thing you can do. And then you ask God what else he would have you do. Just out of curiosity, do you know the largest group in the world under persecution today? Christians. And you're not going to see that in the newspaper, and you're not going to hear that on the radio. Christians are the largest group in the world under persecution today. And do you know how I know that's going to continue? I believe 100% the word of God. And that is what the Bible tells us. We have brothers and sisters all over the world who are paying a huge price for what we walk in very, very freely. You know, we can freely come into this place. We can freely gather together. We can sing at the top of our lungs. And it is not going to cost you anything. But we have family, like right now, who are going from hiding places and working their way into attics or into places in caves and all kinds of places just to meet together. And they, what they do is costing them greatly. So what I don't want anyone to leave feeling guilty. You know, the, the biggest picture we have to hold on to is God put us here. This is God's choice for us. He wanted us born in America. He entrusted us with a bunch of stuff. How many in here have at least four Bibles in your home? Yeah, I have more than that in my computer. We have abundance, don't we? I have been with people who have never seen a Bible and still walk through persecution. A little girl named Abuka Jing 
was captured by Muslim soldiers. They gave her an opportunity to convert and go with them, and she told them she was a Christian. They repeatedly um, molested her. You have some little ones in here. And then they heated their knives, they tortured her, and they left her for dead. And that little girl lived. And when I was with her, I said, Honey, how'd you get through that? Did God bring a Bible verse to your mind? And she said, I've never seen a Bible. She was running for her life with a group from her village. And in that group, there was an Anglican, which would be an Episcopalian. And that Anglican told her, even if they get you, if Jesus is your Savior, you'll be with him. And that little girl, that was the only message she ever heard. We have abundance. And out of our abundance needs to flow into their lack. Prayer is the number one thing they ask for. Bibles and literature is the next thing. Let me just show you this. I just think this is so cool. We do this in North Korea. North Korea, if you're caught with a Bible, you can be executed on the spot. See, Voice of the Martyrs is a little different mission organization. We don't go in and stay like your missionaries do. What we do, we're targeted. We go in, we find the Christians that are being persecuted. We get the information. We bring that information out. We raise prayer support, and then we try to raise support to get the help of what they've requested back into them. The first thing they ask for, like I said, is prayer for them and then for their persecutors. And as we've looked at it, we thought, okay, how can we best help them reach the persecutors? And we believe one of the ways is getting the word into them. So we go into the the areas of North Korea, um, in the border areas between China, North Korea, South Korea, North Korea. We bring tanks to helium. I did this with 150 North Korean kids. We fill these balloons with helium. It tells the people they're not forgotten. The front and back is solid scripture. And then we'll put different amount of holes in them. Maybe we'll put a ton of holes in them so they'll go right over the border and settle down immediately. Or we'll leave some with maybe one or two holes so they'll go way, way, way up into the country. And the people gather these things up and they may take them and hide them in their ceilings or floors or maybe in a can in the yard. But the point is, if they're caught with them, it's their death. Or they end up in prison for 15 years. In North Korea, the people don't live any longer than two to three years of Christians. When they're put in prison for their faith, they're focused on um, for Christianity and for death. So it's just one of the things that we do. I'm going to share a little bit more about Colombia. In the Sunday school hour, Columbia, we drop by parachutes, Bibles, literature, Galcon radios. I mean, we do all kinds of things throughout the world to come alongside the persecuted church to help them be who God's called them to be right where they're at, getting Bibles, literature into them, getting medical help into them, just doing all kinds of things. But what I wanted to do this time is just for the Sunday service really kind of focus more on the trip to the Middle East and give you some current information. Our ministry was founded by Richard and Sabina Wormbrandt. He was a Romanian pastor. When the communists came into his country, the communists gathered all the religious leaders together and gave them an opportunity to say that communism and Christianity could work good together. Well, they have nothing in common. Communists do not even believe in God. So here we are as Christians believing Jesus is the only way. And you know what was sad? Man after man got up and said what the communists wanted. And finally, Richard's wife said to him, are you going to get up and wipe the spit off the face of Jesus? And he said, woman, if I do that, you're going to be a widow. And she said, I'd rather be a widow than married to a coward.
So with the blessing of his wife, she's, he stood. And it started their 14-year um, time of prison. He was in prison eight years, and then another time six years. She was in prison three years. And, you know, they paid a huge price. When they were ransomed out of the country, they made it to America, and they started Voice of the Martyrs. They're both with the Lord, but the ministry continues on as persecution continues on. Over 50 countries that are considered hostile or restricted nations were our brothers and sisters. Listen, I've been invited to the government many times to speak, and I have gone, and every time I have left and walked away, it's been even deeper in my heart, that understanding that the government is not the answer for this. It's a body of Christ issue. God put in place the body to care for the body, whether in your church here or your community or throughout the world. There's over 50 countries. We're working in over 40 of them right now in continuing to build new nations to get, it, get help into uh, Hebrews 13.3 is our ministry verse, which is a command from the Word of God. We're commanded to remember the prisoners, remember those in chains, and we're told why. Look at it. Since you, you yourselves also are in the body, it's a family matter. So you guys, we're responsible for what we learn. So if you do nothing else with what you hear today, you need to pray. And then you need to be a voice for them. You know, this isn't an issue that's known throughout the body of Christ. And yet, it's something that needs to be talked about because we are who they have as we stand with them. So I just really encourage you, be a voice for them. We have extra magazines you can take. Give them to family. Give them to friends. Get them out into people's hands. And again, I want to encourage you, sign up for them and leave them back on the table. And um, you can get the magazine. And these are just, it's just a map of the different areas of persecution. But I want to go right into uh, just a little glimmer in the word and then some of the stories. Because this is why our brothers and sisters stand. If you remember this part of scripture, this is where Peter and John were going into the temple for a time of prayer. And there was a blind, I mean a, a lame man who had been lame from birth. And so Peter and John told them, silver and gold we don't have, but such as we have, we give to you. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. Are you familiar with this part of scripture? And he was healed, and people gathered. So the religious leaders arrested Peter and John, and were told in the word, because they were teaching the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. So they arrested Peter and John, and they told them, you may not speak any longer in this name. Do not teach in this name. Now, would you agree in America right now, we still can talk to anyone we want to about God. But when you talk about Jesus, you've drawn a line in the sand, and you are considered politically incorrect and intolerant. No different than for the early believers. They were told not to speak any longer in that name. You may not teach in that name. You may have heard about the case that we just had in Florida where a principal asked the coach, to pray over their lunch when they were with a group of teachers and they had lawsuit brought before them, they were going to lose their jobs, lose their retirements. And they won it. They won the court case, but they had to make all these concessions to the, as what is the one that's the, you know, rights group, whatever it is. Yes, thank you. 
they had to make all the concessions to them. So, I mean, things are changing very quickly here where it's becoming very dangerous to speak in the name of Jesus. Well, this is what the early believers faced, and this was their response. You know, you be the judge what's right. Judge for yourself. What's right? Do we obey God? Do we obey man? And they go on to say, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. That's where we're at today. That's where our brothers and sisters have been at for a very long time. So I want you to meet some of them that have made a decision to stand no matter what. I took this picture in the Middle East. I'm living in Florida. And I love that. Shalom, y'all. So (laughs) shalom, y'all. What I want to do, though, is just let you meet some of our brothers and sisters so you can better know how to pray for them. I was um, in several Middle Eastern countries. I'm I'm not at liberty to to name the countries, but I can show you some of the areas and uh, the people we work with and This little couple is just very, very precious. You know, in Iran, it's very exciting. Uh, The gospel is spreading, and the persecution is great. And yet the gospel is spreading. In countries of persecution, the gospel is exploding. In countries at ease, you know, in America, we are not replacing those dying in the faith with new converts. You know, a church at ease is just that. We forget that we're in a battle. And God has called us to be salt and light right where he's placed us. Not, You know, it's easy to go overseas on mission trips. And that may sound weird. If it's your first time, it's always difficult. But it is easier to witness in other cultures than it is in your own. So I want to encourage you, be bold where God has placed you. You know, stand right where he has placed you. That's what this little couple is facing. And they are faithfully standing. They have been beat whipped, tormented, and you know what? They continue to have their house church. They continue to go to church. You know, you think about these things. If you were coming to church today and these were the things you were dealing with, would you have still come? I ask myself that stuff all the time. You know, in the Middle East, it's it's an exciting time. Muslims are coming to Christ, and do you know 70% of those coming to Christ in the nations that I was in are coming through dreams and visions. Not missionaries, not people going to tell them, through dreams and visions. See, the Muslims believe that Jesus was, that he did live. They believe he was a prophet. They just don't believe he was God come in the flesh. They don't believe that he was crucified and that he was resurrected. So what is happening? He's showing himself to those Muslims. 70%. Now, if that was happening in America, we'd kind of look askance at it. But these are in areas where there are not missionaries and where there isn't the Bible and where there isn't the information going out. And God is dealing with them as he sees fit. But it is not without great persecution. This is one of the brothers that we are with. He's from a a northern part of a Muslim country that's greatly persecuted. Um, He was ministering with two other men. So there were three men pastoring this church. The first man was kidnapped and held for ransom. The people didn't have any money, so he was martyred. The second man became so afraid he took off and ran. And we started praying for him because at first it was like, oh, if anyone should stay, it should be the pastor. But he took off and ran. So we started praying, Lord, you know this man. And as he runs, let it be just like chapter 8 of Acts, where the church was scattered 
and the gospel was scattered because of it. So he's running to save his life, but he can be a powerful witness for the Lord. And then this is the third man. This brother stayed. He and his little wife, they have three teenage daughters. They know what they're up against. He's a school teacher. When he went to school one day, his, some of the students came out and told him that some men were there asking about him. And so he called his wife and said, we have to be really careful. They know about us. And um, the next couple days, you know, everything was fine. And then when he came back to school again, there were men waiting. And they pulled out in front of him, and they had guns, and they were yelling at him to get out of the car, and he wouldn't do it. In fact, he floored it. And as he drove by them, they opened fire on him. He, uh, the car was just full of bullets. He was hit three different times. One of the bullets missed his heart by a half inch. He drove as far as he could, came to a police checkpoint, and literally fell out of the car into the road. The policeman called a taxi. Now, isn't that weird to call a taxi? You'd expect to, you know, call an ambulance, but no, called a taxi. The taxi driver wouldn't take him to the hospital because he was a Christian and because he was considered an infidel, and he'll bleed in the car. So the taxi driver wouldn't take him. So they waited, and they kept calling, and finally there was a taxi driver that took him to the hospital. He got there. They began to work on him. A friend called and said, you need to get out of there. They know that you're there, and they're coming for you. So he and his wife loaded into the car that was all shot up, and they ended up uh, going to their house. They um, got in five minutes' time, emptied out what they could from their house, and then they took off. And now they're living several miles outside of the town where they lived. He told me they drive five miles within that city, to that city, and then they walk five miles into the city, I should say. They drive to within five miles of that city. They walk the rest of the way in. They call their people, tell them where to meet them. He told me they never call everyone in the congregation because they understand there are wolves within the sheep. I think sometimes we forget that, that Satan plants destructive even within our congregations. He wants it destroyed, what God is building, and it's no different there. So he's very careful about who he calls. They never meet at the same place twice, but they are faithful to continue the ministry. He is a bold guy. He was telling me, he said, you know, sister, a true shepherd really will die for his sheep. He said, I am staying and I'll die. And they know it. They know their time is short. But as long as it's there, he's sharing the gospel and they're leading people to Christ. So please pray for the Middle Eastern countries. We were in another nation and we were walking through this one area, meeting our contacts, and we saw this cross. Very unusual in an area of persecution. And we decided few nights later, we wanted to get down there and find out what was happening. So we went down into this area, and we came up to this little teeny building and went inside, and this is what we found. And in this group, the majority of these people had come to Christ through dreams and visions. The word was solid, and it was good. And the worship time was very, very precious. You know, in Pakistan, one of the worship things that they do is they hold their head and they hold their neck, and they put their arms in the air, and what they're saying is, I will be faithful to you until they take my life. And that is part of their worship service, because they understand coming out of Islam, their lives are marked. 
Well, I love this picture because I wanted to share it with you because it's stark contrast of the next place I went. Went to another country. We were meeting with a contact that we've worked with for many years. And with this man, you know, we were asking him, you know, what are your needs? What's taking place? And he was telling us all the Muslims that were coming to Christ. And he was so excited. He had a little room upstairs that they would actually sneak into his place. And then he'd disciple them upstairs, you know, a group from his area. But there was a group way out in the different villages. Well, while he was talking to us, he got a phone call, and he told us after the phone call, he said that was one of his converts. And this young man was telling him he went down into town for tea, and that's what they do. They'll meet in a village area. They'll have tea together, and it's a gossip area, but when people don't have work, that's where they gather. And everyone knows everyone else in the villages. So he walked into this place, and someone was there who had noticed he had not been going to mosque. And so they stood up and they said, tell us, are you a Christian or aren't you a Christian? And he thought, Lord, I'm going to go out in a big way for you. And he said, yes, I'm a Christian. And he told his personal testimony, and then he told them how they could know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then he went home and he made a salad. Isn't that weird? I mean, (laughs) some of the things on this trip, it was like, hmm, okay went home and made a salad. And then he invited his next-door neighbor in because his next-door neighbor was out of work. And over lunch, that man shared the hope of Christ with him. And he was calling to tell our convert, I mean our contact, for as many days as he has left to live. And he understands his time is very short now because the village knows. For as many days as he has to live, He's going to make a salad, and he's going to invite his other neighbors in who are out of work. This is a person that understands his days are numbered. And for as many days as he has, he's going to use them to share the gospel. Do you know what I think we forget? I think we forget that our days are numbered. It's the same thing. It's just we're not as conscious of it as they are. They understand they're being tracked. They're going to be killed. We forget that. We forget we're in a battle, and we forget we've been given just so many days to live. And so the question is, is what are you doing with those days? I want to encourage you to make a salad, whatever that looks like, you know, to make a salad and do what God would have you to do to reach the people he's entrusted you with. I said to them, I said, ah, I'd love to meet this guy. If we could do this without endangering them any further, would it be possible? And they got together, and they set something up, and we drove in the middle of this desert. Here's this man sitting by the side, and we picked him up and put him in, and we kept going, and there were others. And they wanted to take us to their church, and this is why I wanted you to see this church, because this is the other church. They meet in many different places. They go from Olive Grove to Olive Grove. Look at that, you guys. Isn't that incredible? These are their seats. Look at their pews. And then this is where the teacher sits. I was surprisingly comfortable sitting on those rocks. I was amazed. And we just listened to their testimonies. I want to share just a couple of them. There was a man there that was telling me in his village, when they find out you're a Christian, you have to go down to the police station every Thursday. You stand on one leg with both of your arms raised, and they beat you every Thursday. And you do it as an act of your will. He said, if you're rich, 
you're only beat. If you're poor, you can be killed, you know, martyred, um, tortured to the point of death. That's what happened to his brother. So every Thursday, this man, along with his wife and his kids, make that decision if they're going to walk with Christ. And if they are going to continue to walk with Christ, they walk through that village. And they go to the police station for torture. So you think about it this Thursday when you get up and if you're going to work or school or whatever you're going to be doing. I want to ask you to pray for them. The decisions they're making are much harder than what we walk through. Some of them never walk out of that place. You know, we were saying, okay, they're going to be tortured anyways. Whether they go to the police station or not, people know about them. They're going to be persecuted. So why walk to the police station? Do you know why? They said if they don't go to the police station, the people in the village will think they've turned back. They go as a witness. That is the most important thing to them. You know, every single one of us is leaving footprints. I don't care where you're going to be walking today, what you're going to be involved in, you're leaving footprints. And they are either going to look like the world or they're going to look like the living Christ. These men and women understand the prints they're leaving are just like Paul. Do you know Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ? That's exactly what they're doing. They're leaving prints for people to follow. I have just a couple minutes, and I want to, oh, I really want to share this. Maybe I'll share this in Sunday school, because <laughs> I want to share this other story with you. This other story is very, very important. Um, there's a young man from an area, and it's a different Middle Eastern country, and our team made an agreement that we'll never speak of it, uh, just simply because of the dangers for him. In the whole world, there are only 100,000 people that believe in this religious sect that they are involved in. It's a cult. It's false. Anyways, 20,000 of them live together in one area. They farm together. They have businesses together. Everything they need, they supply from each other, and they live together. And so here this man is. He heard the gospel over a radio program. So he ended up calling that place and asking for a Bible. They sent a Bible, and he hid it in his house, and his wife found it. And she took that Bible, and she got a hold of his parents. And his brothers and his father came, and they almost beat him to death. He's a big guy. Um, he's a bodybuilder, a black belt in karate. He said that he's always had this horrible, violent temper, so everyone was terrified of him. He didn't think twice about fighting to death. It's just the way he was. And now here the people come in to beat him for being a Christian, and he doesn't raise a hand back. And his wife is watching this. And she came to him one day, and she said, I want what you have. And he said, are you sure? Because if you take what I have, you're going to get what I've been getting. And she said, I want it. And her family came and did the same to her. His right leg is crippled now because of the beatings. They cannot go out of that house without being beat. 20,000 people are watching them. He's lost his job. They have broken the windows out of their house. Their car has been destroyed. They came into the house and took every bit of furniture out. And we heard about him because someone was telling us when we got into country, there's a man asking about Americans. He heard that Americans will buy your kidneys 
for $30,000, they'll fly you to America, buy a kidney, and fly you back, and they'll give you $30,000. Do you know I was home two weeks, and that ring was broken in the United States? I heard about it on the news. I was so shocked. But anyways, so we said to our contacts, somehow get a hold of him. Get him out. Get him into this particular place we told him about. Let us talk to him. So they did. When we got there, they were there. We told him, you know, we asked him, please don't sell your kidneys. You know, let us help you. You know, we, let us help you. You know, we're Christians. We'll come alongside you. You don't have to walk through this alone. And so we made an agreement with him that we will try to get help into him. But then we thought we had a better plan. And we said, look, this village that we're meeting in, yes, they persecute Christians. But there are several Christian families here, at least, you would suffer together. You could encourage each other. You could stand together. So we said, why don't you let us move you here? And you're still close enough. You can check and hear how your families are doing. And he said, these people don't know me. They don't know the change Jesus has made in my life, like his temper and other things like that. So he didn't want to move there for that reason. And then he said, he said, and for the people in my village, he said, there's 20,000 people there and we're the only Christians. Who's going to tell them about Jesus? Okay, do you get the full picture of this? This man and his family are not going to live very long. But as long as they live, they've made a decision to stand as witnesses within that village. These aren't small testimonies. Um, These are testimonies like right now, the end of those stories could be different than what I've told you. You know, that's the way our family throughout the world is living. They're counting the cost of what Jesus is to them. Do you know, that's the key of it, you guys. It really is, is how real is your faith in Christ? If it is just religion, it will suck the life out of you. And you can continue to come and and sit and do nothing. And that will be the extent of your life. But if you have a living, vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be doing remarkable things through his power and might. And that doesn't mean going all over the world, but that might mean sharing the gospel with your neighbor or with a person at the supermarket or whatever. But it is passing on what he has given to you. So it comes back to us the same way it did with them. We have to judge for ourselves what's right. Are you going to obey God and be bold where he's placed you? Or are you going to obey man And are you going to allow yourself to be pressed into the mold of this culture where it's politically incorrect and intolerant to speak the name of Jesus? No different for us than it is for them. You know, persecution is coming to America. Did you know that? It already has started. And it's been going on for quite a while. It's just different than what I've been sharing with you. But it is increasing. For those of you who have children You have an opportunity to raise them with an understanding of Philippians chapter 1. I think it's verse 27 through 29. It says, um, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. You need each other. You're standing as one man for the faith of the gospel.
without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. And then it goes on to say, for it has been granted to you, and that word granted in the original language means you've been given a marvelous gift. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to suffer for him. Isn't that amazing? Part of the gift you've been given is salvation. The other part is that fellowshipping in the sufferings of Christ. And there is something that's remarkable that takes place. I've been with little children who are old in the Lord as they have stood for Christ. Well, God bless you. Pastor, should I pray? Should I pray? Father, we want to thank you for this time together. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus is worth speaking about. He's our hope. So, Father, I pray for these brothers and sisters in this meeting, just as I pray for those in persecuted nations. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you will fill us to overflowing with the power of your spirit, that we might stand and we might speak your words boldly.